0: Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version, with no frills, and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player Two episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair, and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no
1: spaces. Now, on to the show. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us, there's an episode guide, and of course, you can find our social media pages, where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part.
0: Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we've left off in the first chapter, really more like a prologue. Where puts has already put the headset on, already checked the warning button, accepted the risk, and from there, Ready Player Two pops up. And now we've moved into chapter 0000. And right off the bat, everything is real. And I have to imagine that if you've got any VR headset, if you've experienced any VR, while there might be a visual sense of reality, while there might be a motion sense of reality where you can... Reach out, touch things per se, interact with things via motion. This extra level of sensory, this hypersensitive input, where you can feel the breeze, where you can smell things, where you can reach out, touch the book, or pick up food. It's all hyperreal in this. And I'll be honest with you, right, right from the beginning of this chapter it instilled in me this kind of excitement, which is really weird because yeah. like, I could get out of my chair now and I could go outside and I could feel the air breeze past me. I could go find a real apple and I could push my fingers into it and get little dimples where I've pushed the, the, the pulpy flesh down on the apple. It's not any different per se from regular reality. But for someone who's in the Oasis for a long period of time, aside from the haptic feedback that you would get from your suit, let's say, this extra level of realism uh, and the fact that you're within this sort of fantasy, digital fantasy world, I-, I could see experiencing this over again. It's almost like being born.
1: Well, it's, I mean, for us, it's. Re- I would say, at least for me, it's hard to imagine because he's talking about experiencing things that I think we take for granted right now, because we can go pick up that apple, we can go outside and and feel the the warm breeze or the cool breeze or whatever it is, and we don't have to go look out onto the reality that is their reality right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's not the kind of dystopian society outside our doors right now, but it is for him for, and most of the world right now. That being said, he is blown away by this in a way that is understood because the description of in these pages about how he's experiencing the O&I are kind of mind-blowing and made me change my tune on actually trying this headset if it were to exist because I was like, okay, this sounds fucking amazing.
0: Well, and you got to think for a period of time in the book where a lot of people are in poverty, where access to probably the O&I is going to be at at a kind of a level of cheapness. They know they're going to sell a lot, and like anything, high supply, high demand, and they're going to make it available at the po- lowest possible dollar so they can get more people into this because the more people that are invested into it, the more they're going to invest into that economy and invest into paying for that
1: system. It's, it's giving away the first hit for free.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically, yes. And it, the presenting of this reality in this particular way, for a person who is living in a trailer in one of the stacks, that doesn't have access to something as, as easy as we have access to papaya. This is like stepping into a a regal royal castle. This is like your first experience into a five star restaurant, right? You will have never experienced and may never experience in the real, in IRL or IRL, any Earl. of this. Earl, Earl, <laughs> Earl, Earl. So it's just it's. I get it. It's. It reminds me of my first experience in a posh kind of environment, and I have not many of those. But You, <laughs> you want to go around and look at everything and touch it because you've not seen it in this form before. You want to go to the restaurant and try it. You want to you do so much. So this, for me, brings back a, a little level of nostalgia uh, just from the experience of something new or even old but in a new way, right? And this desire to want to be in this world. Because I, I think this would be freaking awesome. I And I don't think we're far from that technology, but I don't want to get there yet.
1: Yeah. it. I think it speaks to the technology if the guy who now has everything in the world wants to spend all of his time using this device.
0: That's another thing, right? Later on, it talks about how this is monetized. But instantly, my thought was when POT was legalized in the U.S., instantly there were pot bars, there were people who were putting pot into foods, there were people who were created their weed manufacturing for their own farms, if you will. There, there were places to create these niches. And one of the things that they didn't talk about in this chapter that I thought would immediately become a niche would be for people who have money to simply go to a facility where they will rig you up and evacuate your waste, and they will put you under And for 12 hours, you will live in the oasis. And for another 12 hours, they will pipe in drugs for you to go to sleep and that you don't (laughs) have to live in reality. You can go basically to a rich person's nursing home where they'll intravenously put food into your system to keep you alive and, again, evacuate your waste and treat your illnesses while you're interacting in the oasis. You just described the matrix. Yes. Yeah. That's That was the thought that crossed my mind this morning, which was that people would willingly connect to the system. Right. It's it's just like when. Oh, God. What is his name? What was the name of the guy that had the mustache and the bald head that like basically turned on everybody? In what? In the Matrix. Oh, oh shit. Now I've got to look it up. <laughs> Cypher. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's like when Cypher went to meet with the agents, and they're at this restaurant, and he's Mm -hmm. dining on steak. And his rationale is, I want to be somebody famous, and I'm going to turn in my friends. I want you to plug me back in, and I want to be somebody famous. Somebody that's important and rich, maybe an actor. (laughs) And the fact that he just hadn't had steak in so long that the Matrix was more real than reality for him. And it was something he wanted to come back to. Oh,
1: well, so just better than reality. Yeah, it's like you, because you saw the mush that they were eating. Oh yeah, yeah. I would choose the I would choose the Matrix with steak over that mush every day of the week, and twice on Sundays.
0: Even if you knew it wasn't real, that that's almost
1: like, define real. That's is, a great.
0: That's a great point.
1: Is right. Is what Wade is experiencing. Is what Wade is experiencing through the O and I real? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and
0: the answer is yes. He's interacting with it. It's impacting him. It's impacting others. He's making conscious decisions, and it is affecting him and growing him. So here's
1: a question for you, though. What do you think James Halliday thinks the O&I is? Is it real or is it not? Because in, right before he signs off after giving Parzival the prize, he tells him that he's got to spend some time outside of the Oasis because only reality is real. But it's the same holiday that spent 25 years creating the ONI and then shelving it.
0: I think reality is where you find it. Reality is where you experience it. Whether it's a reality entrapped in your own mind because you've lost all your senses and you're, you're in a situation where you can't move or you're paralyzed. Uh, reality is where your mind interacts, wherever that might be. And I think it could be just as real in the OASIS as it could be in outside of the Oasis and the real. And a matter of fact is that the fact that people can record their experiences now and that not only it's what's real for you, but you can experience what's real for other people. And that alone is cool because it really forces people who want to monetize on this to get out in the world and experience life fully and record it and then try to try and sell it. See, people will buy it. It could make you a million dollars, right?
1: For the cost of a cup of coffee. you yeah, apparently you can, iced lattes are a thing.
0: They, evidently, and, and so, and it's weird because we don't actually get into the price of a cup of iced latte. But the, for the cost of a cup of iced latte, I presume five or six bucks, you can purchase anyone's experiences. I like the fact that GSS did put that they take 20% of the profit from anything sold, which is very that's a, close. That's a deep cut. Well, it's less than what Apple was cutting. Apple was requiring 30%. To point here is that there's a means for profiting off of reality. And there's an encouragement to experience reality so that you can share it with others, which is neat because that draws people out of the game and into real life and into experiencing things, which I think is just utterly freaking awesome. But on the same note, if you've got nothing really to share, that means that you're living your life through someone's eyes. Or you're living your life in a game. And again, maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe that's for, your reality.
1: For most people in this world in those in these two books, that is their reality. They've already been living in the game.
0: Right. Right. And this draws them or pulls them in even deeper.
1: Let's talk for a second about eating the apple and the papaya and all that stuff. hmm So I understand that Halliday, I understand that Halliday could have programmed this room to have all these features so that you could experience the O and I, and that seems very plausible because this would be the first place that his heir would log into Mm -hmm. to test it out. The bowl of fruit is there, and it wasn't there before. So these things need to be programmed to actually have that kind of sensory feedback. Clearly, there's going to need to be some significant reprogramming or additional programming to the OASIS so that other worlds can have that level of detail. What they've already covered in the previous book the smell stuff because you can get a smell tower and it can regenerate smells. Right. Uh, so, but taste and texture of the food and the things that he noted in this chapter as not being able to be replicated with the traditional haptic suits and gloves, that has to be added. How do you record an apple? I understand that like you could have somebody like taste it and record it. Yeah, that's where you, my head was then, going. But then you have to model it. Yeah,
0: yeah, you've got to have a model. These thoughts went through my mind as well. What would it take to model an object in such a way that interaction with it was predictable? If you squeeze it and you leave little pulpy indentations, is that where the squeeze ends? Or can you squeeze it and it starts to like warp and go out through your fingers like you're, you know, squeezing a jelly ball, right? At what point does it break reality? Because that's where it breaks reality is where. The end of where the end of accuracy is, and where the system has to then compensate for a lack of information about the object. I don't know. Like, how would you do that? I might say that you would have a person exploring and trying through a certain set of tests, both tactile and, and also in consuming, and record all of that per object. And that you eating an apple may be this sort of slightly modified AI version of a recording of somebody having eaten an apple. With a slightly you know different take on the angle, maybe, but the gist is is that you get the feeling, you get the mouth feel, you get the chew the sensa- you get the chew sensation, and you 've got these pieces, and then all of that is turned into an artificial intelligence model wherein you take it and you try it from an angle that wasn 't expected, and the model can compensate but that 's where my head would go with it and in a future technology, there might be a much much better way of dealing yeah. with it it, it might it. be it might very well be that it simply says whatever your experience is dictates what it is sure if you've had an apple before what an apple tastes like
1: yeah but, but for the millions and millions of people that are poor who've uh, never had
0: a papaya before how do you communicate never, that yeah right?
1: who you know who exist on soy bacon and stuff like that <laughs> And, I, you, and It would you suck out... if, like, you'd go into
0: a world and you're like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness, now I can try all these new things, and they're just shitty. It's like fancy versions of the shitty stuff you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting because you could, assuming that, like, you're compiling down and extrapolating the experiences of a couple different people into an apple, mm-hmm. and you could model an apple to have no core, so you eat the whole apple. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? You well, could so model like avocados with no fucking stone in the middle. How great is that? That's true. You know, so you could start improving upon the fruit and the food.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can make it an Pretty ideal cool. experience, which is very much like how we've genetically uh, altered a, a number of fruits and vegetables that we consume, like corn is nothing like what it
1: used to be. Oh, very few things are what they used to be. Yeah, yeah. This is true. So, but- so would a vegan eat an I steak? I think we'd have to ask someone,
0: but if we're going purely on principle, then I'd say yeah, they could because eating an O and I steak would Doesn't be like a steak anything. replacement. Yeah, and there's plenty of foods on the market. That's an awesome question. There are lots of foods on the market that simulate meat that that are vegan friendly.
1: So here's the thing, though: like it, it would probably come down to how that meat was recorded. Is that based on like multiple people trying? or eating steak, oh. and then those things being recorded, because then technically that's not a, a harmless experience. Like at one point something was harmed and eaten, right? but the experience, nothing is being harmed by.
0: Okay, fine. We could take it from the other approach, which is today you have vegan hamburgers or vegan hot dogs, but someone who made that had to have eaten the real thing sure, in order to be able to compare the taste to say this is close which is no different than if somebody ate steak, and then it was recorded, and then anyone could then eat steak as a part of their culinary experience and and have steak, that the one person would have been involved in the death of the animal, but it had to happen in order to save millions of cows, let's just say. So I don't think the logic is too far off from what happens today.
1: I'm curious what an actual vegan would actually think about that. And then Fast forward to when this technology actually exists, would they then try some steak and be like, "God damn it, what the fuck was I thinking? This is delicious."
0: Or horrible, they might get or nauseated. Horrible. It's for well, some people they have just a, a core, intrinsic response.
1: Sure, like there's probably plenty of food that, like, if I tried to eat, it'd be like, "This is not a fun experience." And maybe <laughs> many people think it's a great one, but anyway, I, th- that was what came to mind about uh, the food stuff was how is this recorded? How is this like replicated to, you know, multiple users without just replaying somebody else's experience? Yeah. Because there, there's got to be, there's something there that I think we don't necessarily have that information, but I feel like it can, we could get there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think so. And we've we've spent a lot of time on the food part of this because that is a rather interesting point. And it does get down to the detail of the environment, of the Oasis as it exists with the O&I. But there's a lot of this chapter that actually deals with the level of reality. And maybe it's to emphasize the the, the grandness of this experience. But I got to wonder if this isn't setting us up to explain something else further along. And I don't want to get into the predictive stuff because uh, I know you've been down that road and I have not yet read down that road. I'm Uh, curious your predictions,
1: because I think that's part of the fun of this, is that, mm -hmm. you know, like, you even saying that, like, the attention to this part of of the experience, whether that's a lead-in to something down the road, like, I'm curious what you think that could be.
0: Well, it feels as though, because of the level of the reality, that there's a lot of attention in this chapter towards it. It feels like uh, if they didn't do something with it, if it wasn't a critical part of the story in some way that otherwise would be questioned without this part of the chapter, that it would turn into the proverbial uh, Chekhov's gun. And that, again, and for those who've maybe not heard about a dozen other episodes where you mention this, your Chekhov's gun is the focus on something that seems like it's going to have purpose and ends up not having any purpose whatsoever adds nothing to the story. Now, I don't think that's the case here, because you really do need to communicate to the audience just how real everything is because people yeah. are going to want it to know. But the fact that they spend a lot of time on this makes me feel like this might be a critical component to explaining something that happens down the road. And then yeah. I can't really predict anything more than that. Although I do like the fact that it hits on a lot of the points that we talked about, which was how do we deal with pain? How yes. do we deal with death? And the fact that there is a little bit of pain like you can shoot yourself and there's like a, a, a pinch or a tinge or something but you can bite your tongue and it doesn't hurt. That pain is dialed down
1: considerably. So, so this is what I thought was hilarious about this part was I wonder if I feel pain. Let me shoot myself with the blaster in the foot. But he starts off that... first with the, with biting, the biting his, his tongue. tongue. Yeah. I get
0: that. But let's... I like how the next step is let me see if I can shoot myself.
1: Yeah, I feel yeah. So, so I you've seen the IT crowd, right? Mm-hmm. yes remember when god i forget what his character's name is in the show but when when matthew berry finds the gun in his father's desk and says hmm, i wonder if it works and then he like sticks it to his head and starts shooting and it's empty <laughs> that's what that feels like <laughs> to me
0: he's gonna have to take a shot or two anyhow he's gonna have to know how that feels i would rather know if something hurts a lot like getting shot because this is that kind of world you could you will find yourself getting shot at and you're going to want to know when you get hit and it shouldn't be it shouldn't distract you from what you're doing but it should be enough of a warning to let you know that it happened
1: sure and i think my biggest curiosity on this is how like how do you distinguish or or i guess how did they have the al- how do they create the algorithm to distinguish between pain versus other heightened sensory experiences so because pain is really just feeling but it's at a it's tipping the scales into the red right it's it's a whole lot of pain but there's also things like i'm experiencing a whole lot of flavor i'm experiencing a whole lot of pleasure and also vi- like visual stimulus yeah. could you
0: potentially make something over pleasurable sure right could you gain an enormous amount of you an unusual amount of euphoria from say like eating a peach it's not just wow this is a tasty peach or this is the best peach i've ever had but i mean like orgasmic peach consumption
1: could you orgasm to death
0: yes yes wow okay my head wasn't going there it was in that area though but what sure, a way okay. to go yeah yeah i get you It's weird. What are the limiters there? How close to reality can it be, and how can it be fudged?
1: Yeah, and I think it. I don't know enough about human biology and body chemistry to know like what else happens in the body to when you're experiencing actual pain versus just heightened sensory experience. Mm -hmm. So I suspect that there's probably some reaction in your body that is actually correlates to pain that then. They know how to say, okay, just dial it down a little bit. It's like it's like finding what dosage of Tylenol will kill you, and then bringing it back a little bit and calling it like extra, yeah, like, or extra pain relief. Or, well,
0: and that's just it. Is that it, you're not going to get pain is a reflection of damage. It's your body trying to tell you something is wrong. And I don't think like you could overdose on Tylenol because Tylenol would have no effect on you. There isn't a oh I've got a headache in the real life in the real world but I don't have a headache in the oasis or I mean I have a headache in the oasis so I'll take an oasis Tylenol and that'll make my oasis headache go away. No 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 there's it's you're not going to receive the same medicinal effects because you're not actually putting the chemicals in your body. It's all simulated. You can feel it going down your throat but that's feeling.
1: But but so, wouldn't but wouldn't the so like Tylenol other kind of over the counter drugs they create chemical reactions in your body. Or no, you're like.
0: adding chemicals to your you're body to chemicals create to body, but... chemical reactions as yeah. a result.
1: But aren't you also recording those created chemical reactions, in which case you wouldn't need the initial stimulus? You're getting the electrical impulses from the ONI to create those chemical reactions.
0: No. You'd be simulating someone else's headache, and then them taking the aspirin to get rid of that headache. You would only be experiencing it through someone else's recording. If you get a headache, you need a, a chemical additive to, to deal with that. Like there there is no simulating that's going to override your headache, I don't think. I need to, you know, draw a limitation to the technology. But it's just like food. It's like saying, oh, my body needs nutrients, which is a chemical. Therefore, if I go and I eat steak in, in the OASIS, won't my eating steak satisfy my brain and give my brain the electrical response as if it received nutrients, and therefore I'm okay and I will continue to live? And the answer is no.
1: He did say
0: that he felt full, like he had just eaten all the fruit. You can feel full, but that's different than your body actually responding to the chemicals put into your system. Is it? Yeah. If you didn't eat anything, you're going to starve and die. Sure. You're shortcutting the actual systems. You might be very hungry.
1: But, all but, just... those, but the feelings that we have are all it's still reactions in our mind, too.
0: But it's our body communicating with our mind. And that allows us to do what we do at night, to dream as actively as we want to dream. And I could see this system tapping directly into that, basically shutting us down in the same way that we do for sleep.
1: So before we, if we jump off of the pain talk, he says he experiences hit points of damage. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he have infinity hit points?
0: I don't remember. But he had some indication that he took damage. Imagine he could snap his finger and heal himself. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I just thought that was funny because I, I thought I'm, my memory was, and of course I had just re-listened to the first book to try to get reacquainted enough to really remember these things, and I don't remember what the whole hit points thing was. But I, I think you're right,
0: up. though. I think it was like infinity.
1: So I it's don't, I don't infinity think minus 10.
0: Yeah. But the fact of the matter here is that he took a hit and that there is a system called the Pain Prevention Protocol that handles this. Uh, I also like the fact that, that in exper- experiencing the ONI files, he doesn't get to control the experience. He's along for the ride. And I thought that was neat. Like he, he, As the surfer, he can't surf, but he's just... If you've ever watched somebody play a video game, your mind might respond differently or want to respond differently than the person who you're watching. And for me, that can make me feel nauseated, and it can seem very sort of jerky. But And that's how it was described in the book here. So I, I can compare it to watching somebody playing a video game, particularly like a first-person shooter.
1: I mean, this was part of the stuff that was really making me be like, okay, I want in on this. This sounds fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, could you imagine if a tweet wasn't a tweet per se, a text, but it was just like a two-minute ride in their shoes kind of situation? Of of everyone that you have in your your tweet list, people that you follow?
1: It would be just these examples alone. Racing, surfing, skydiving, kung fu fighting. I think I would enjoy experiencing the kung fu fighting a few times. That sounds like fun. I know kung fu. Yeah. Show me.
0: And I particularly like the fact that, that there were, of all the files that he could go through and experience, there were three that he left out.
1: I stopped when I reached a series of files with names like Sex dash M dash F dot and I, sex dash F dot and I, and okay. sex dash dot O and I. I wasn't ready for any of that.
0: Yeah, and he so, and he goes to the reason so he there, was which able is, to at
1: least dial himself back a little bit, which is yeah, good self-preservation. But, but
0: the reason for that, though, I thought was interesting because he said that he had lost his virginity to Samantha, but days before.
1: Ooh,
0: right. So we've. And maybe this is part of the story that I wish there was more of, because in the first book, there's a good bit of dialogue. You have a little bit of monologue in the beginning, a little bit of history, like a couple chapters of monologue. Uh, And then you get into the interaction with the other people, what he goes through and what he says when talking to other people. What we were missing in this chapter was that first conversation with Samantha about the the, the O&I headset, right? Because there was this talk of she wouldn't be happy that he did this. We we don't know. Like it jumps ahead. There's a huge time jump here, and then he says like he lost virginity. It's like did we not get to experience that? In in wh- why would we skip that part? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for like something elaborate, but something that sort of builds up on the relationship there versus just jumping over it.
1: And it's another like thing you here, skipped over the climax,
0: kind of. Well, <laughs> or at least a part of the 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 at least a part of the.
1: That's it's a clutch. significant experience on his, from his point of view. And just like four days ago, we humped like rabbits.
0: But yet he said he lost his virginity. But the, the weird part here is that, did he though? Look, if you're going into the oasis and you're experiencing sex from within the oasis using your Uber Betty, I'm not saying an Uber Betty replaces a human. But if you've been around the block in an Uber Betty, I'm not sure that I could say that you're a virgin. Except in the most purest sense.
1: He described it back then as basically being computer assisted masturbation, which I guess to each their own as to how they want to interpret that sp- in their, or, or justify it in their minds. Yeah. I didn't really take issue with how he described it before. And I'm not, I don't think I'm like, now that there's this an eye thing, like, I think, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Because no, you could easily say, but hey, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. I might have experienced it, but I didn't do that. That wasn't me. Neither of those people were me. I don't know either of those people. See what I'm getting at? If it's all in your head, we're just the cheating part of that, really, if we're really going to say that losing your virginity is a an in-the-real physical thing. See where, I'm, see where I'm going with that? Sure. And yeah. I,
1: moving yeah. On. <laughs> I think that's more than what people actually subscribe to this podcast to to hear about. No, I <laughs> totally not, get We're that. not that kind of podcast. Or as Ryan would say, why do you got to make that? Uncomfortable, yeah, and
0: awkward. All right, fair enough. So let's talk about the technology, if you don't mind. Can we move
1: into that? Please, and we—I feel like we've been doing that already, but let's proceed. Sort
0: of, we've touched on it, but there's the real question of how. Like, how do we get in the current day to that state, this sort of desirable state, where we get an O and I when we can get into the oasis? And we had discussed this in previous chapters of the first book about where we are today versus what it would take to make the leap to the oasis. But here, what I found particularly interesting was how they were able to develop the technology without giving it away. And that was a question we came up, like, how do you get these experiences? And those people not have walked away and said, yeah, they got this technology of this thing I have to wear. And this chapter explains it really well, which is that they hid it in plain sight. And they segregated what people worked on. So they did all this research for prosthetics, for cochlear implants, for an eye implant. And all the while, they're using this beneficial research to advance this secret research incrementally. And I used to live in a place called Oak Ridge. It was known as the Secret City. And that's exactly how they handled keeping secrets there as well. Because you only knew what you did. And if you're only given a small piece of the larger puzzle, you could never really tell anybody what that larger puzzle looked like, and your piece was always insignificant, and that's how they kept secrets. And in this case, that's exactly how he describes it, which is that everybody had one thing that they worked on, and they weren't allowed to know what everyone else was working on, but that Halliday would know everything and was able to put it all into perspective. He knew what the entire puzzle looked like. I thought that was very clever.
1: To interject, and maybe this isn't really the right place to interject, but... As I was reading all this stuff about the ARL and the access- all the accessibility things, the implants, the free surgeries, I'm going through this and I'm thinking, if this was such a big part of what GSS was doing, which is mm-hmm. uncharacteristic of what their overall product is, how did this not get mentioned in the first book? And I thought that the way he wrote into this chapter how it wasn't, Something that Parzival really cared much about was actually a clever way of dealing with that question, mm,
0: right and, yeah, how could this be hidden from us and quite frankly it's because
1: because it wasn't par- and well, it just Parzival didn't, didn't have be- any
0: handicaps, yeah, he, so he didn't have to interface with that technology,
1: yeah, okay, so this was going on, but it didn't matter to me, and it only mattered to a very small subset of humanities, so I ignored it, and like I thought that's plausible, that's fair i it could have been mentioned. But, okay, I, I get that.
0: If, if you didn't know you were going to write it, then this was a really good way of saying, you know, it just wouldn't have been important to the character before now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not a retcon. It's like, a, I don't know how you describe it as not a retcon, but just more like adding detail onto the story that wasn't necessary before.
0: Yeah, and, and if you don't think about the fact that people need to use the Oasis to make a living— It makes perfect sense. Like we know from our experience working in businesses, every business has to have a ramp for people who are using a wheelchair. This is just, this isn't surprising. This isn't unusual, but it isn't something you think about a lot. I do. And thus you could, you could, as I guess you do.
1: I do. Every day. Oh, as
0: you're right. As an architect, you have to, don't you?
1: Every day.
0: So yeah, I, I get that. And I thought that was clever. But specifically though, like where are we today, do you think, in getting to this place?
1: It's an interesting question because we think about the timeline in this book, mm-hmm. that, like, per this book, this stuff might be going on right now in the 2020s.
0: Yes. Yeah, I see where you're going. Cause there like, are things like that going on today anyhow.
1: Yeah. So what I'm saying is like, this actually relates back to our current timeline. Because even if you just use 25 years of ONI research, that means that the research started 10 years ago.
0: I guess the point I'm getting at here is, there's already technology moving in that direction. So let's take, for example, Elon Musk's Neuralink. So he's got this wireless brain implant that he's experimenting with. It's about the size of a quarter. And what it does is it runs uh, 1,024 thin wires into the cerebral cortex. And it can pick up on things. It can pick up on, on movement. It can pick up on input from the brain in regards to certain pleasures or certain activities. And he's really experimenting with that. Initially, it should be available soon. You yourself could have an input implant put into your head within a matter of a few years, actually, with the research that they're doing now. And you'll be able to listen to music just directly to your brain, to within your head.
1: And a number of Very other things, too.
0: The ability to record certain activities, the ability to produce feedback through the neural link into the brain, and the fact that the brain is really interesting, that it, it, it adapts. It sees feedback coming in. It wants to take that and, and create the pathways that turn it into something that's logical, that makes sense. There was one implant that allows a a person who is blind to see using sound and see colors using sound. That's cool. Uh, and thus, there and it, it literally uses the environment and depth and size and a number of other things to create not audible but color sensations. It's a, I don't remember if he was blind or deaf. Now, anyways, it's not relevant. But there's tons of stuff like that. There's a. Professor Dario Farina, with the Department of Biomedical Engineering at the Imperial College of London, that has gone from the muscle twitching in the chest for the activation of a full prosthetic arm to now wiring that directly to the nervous system so that you have a finer tune of response so that the full arm can move you have full range of movement with a basically an implanted arm and a hand on the end and it 's just a matter of thinking it 's really just That's- a matter of using your mind to otherwise control your arm and then intercepting those signals and turning it into an actual prosthetic movement.
1: I mean, that's pretty wild stuff, like, and that's exactly what this is talking about in the ARL thing. You can get a band for your Apple Watch mm-hmm. that will interpret the motions of your fingers as interactions with your watch. Yeah. So like if you're in the middle of washing your hands or washing your face or... Your hands are otherwise covered in goop, but you don't want to touch your watch, and you get an alert, you can then do a series of finger movements and manipulate your watch. Yeah, and that's that totally pretty counts. cool. And absolutely, I've thought about getting that, but I don't need a $200 band for my watch. But like that, it's ter- interpreting an electrical impulses in your body that are predictable and making and translating them into. Different kind of electrical impulse, but on your watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I particularly like there are a lot, lots of little advancements. It's not one company controlling it, and that's one company architecting a sort of control here. But for example, there's a Kickstarter right now going on that is that is this. It's called Impulse Neuro Controller. And it's for PC gamers, and the just here is that it actually goes on your hands and gives you something along the range of like a two hundred millisecond advance on you pressing the mouse button to fire
1: in first-person
0: shooter games. So you're running along, and it it takes a certain amount of effort and force. It's, It's not just the signal triggering the action. The signal's gotta go down. The muscle has to pick up on it. The muscle then gets charged. It pushes down the button. It's got to overcome a point of resistance that causes the snap of that button before that button goes down and then creates the signal that sends off to the computer that you're firing your proverbial first person shooter gun. What this glove does is it actually intercepts those that signal. And it is much faster to send it from the glove to the PC to fire for you than your finger doing the action. It gives you a split-second advantage when playing first-person shooter games, because as you go to press your button, as you go to press to fire, you've already begun firing.
1: That's fucked up. And in a
0: game, and particularly in an industry where there's billions of dollars in the sport of playing games, to have that kind of advantage, just even at a split-second, is pretty tremendous.
1: If you remember when he was playing joust against a Sararac, that the last kind of win was based on, you know, that split-second difference.
0: A a hair higher on on the ostrich. Yeah. Right? Than your opponent. Exactly. But I think the important thing here is that it's it's not just these sort of technologies for compensating for difficulties or trying to bring you up to a level of everyone else. These things can be used as enhancements. And I think another technology that's interesting as well is this idea of technical telepathy, wherein the electrical nature of your brain allows for you not only to send signals, but also for the receiving of electrical impulses. They've already begun testing on this in very non-invasive ways. It's a techno- it's a technique called transcranial magnetic stimulation, in where they can... Basically project the same frequencies that your brain is putting out, the same tune that your brain is putting out. You can record it and then transmit it to somebody so that it can be picked up by somebody else's brain as if it was its own transmission and get interwoven into your transmission. So that I could, if I wanted to, if you and I put this device on our heads, I could move your hand with me moving my hand. Uh, uh, uh. And in fact, they've even tested this. So this idea of recording, like we're right on the edge right on the edge of that kind of concept. I don't think it has nearly the resolution, such as being able to get an apple and taste it in your mouth and the crunch against your teeth. That's a very high-level resolution experience, but we're at a state where we can do a very low-level resolution of this,
1: and that's kind of interesting. So it's kind of like gross motor skills versus fine motor skills.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like using a mallet to fix a watch.
1: Nice. (laughs) So we move on to... Where there's a vote on whether or not to release the technology. And obviously, there's a lot that happens in between, you know, the three quarters down the page on page 17 versus the the bottom page 17. This is another
0: example of where I wanted to hear that conversation.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a jump. But they didn't, he says right off the bat, we didn't make the decision lightly. They weighed the pros and cons. And there was even a debate. So they, they hold a vote, which I feel like. A vote of four. <laughs> four voters. I feel like there's gonna be a lot of ties. So I'm curious yeah. about the tie-breaking element of it, but we don't get into that here. And interesting that they did another set of safety trials. Mm-hmm. I guess was smart. And the O and I headset is released.
0: And there's and millions of people pick it up. Millions of people like they're basically giving
1: they're they're giving away the first hit for free. They're giving away at the lowest. It's like entry into the oasis was really only going to cost a quarter, which was part of the tagline in the first book was, you know, and it only cost a quarter. So I don't know what they sold it for, but they obviously it sold like gangbusters and just kind of went viral in a manner of speaking, and. Something happens. Something big happens when they, when the o, uh, when the Oasis servers reach seven million seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven simultaneous ONI users.
0: Why is that number
1: important? It's seven digits. All the number right. seven. Seven
0: sevens. Seven shards on seven worlds. Yeah. Seven so sevens.
1: The scoreboard r- reveals a new riddle. Seek the seven shards of the Siren's soul on the seven worlds where the Siren once played a role. For each fragment, my heir must pay a toll to once again make the Siren whole.
0: Again, and, interesting.
1: Yeah, very interesting, and apparently has the same rhyme scheme and syllable count as the three hidden keys open three secret gates wrap, which was interesting that now it's called a rap because I didn't realize that it don't think it called it a wrap in the first book. Yeah. But it's a wrap now. And uh, this is called The Shard Riddle. Right. And So I'm
0: really less interested in The Shard Riddle and more interested in the fact that that Parsifal can't figure it out, that he doesn't have an idea as to how to get a grip on it, and that he's in a position where he has all of this power, and yet he can't figure it out. And he has to... He decides to... Put a bounty for it. A what does this sound like? Billion
1: dollars. A
0: billion dollars. What does it's, this sound like?
1: Desperate. What? He's desperate. No, who
0: did this in the first
1: book? Did what? Oh, yeah. He sounds like Halliday. No. What? No. He's He
0: sounds like fucking IOI.
1: Oh, yeah. No, you're right. You know, them but, but they paying never...
0: other people to bring them th- the hint.
1: But IOI never said, show us how to get to the first gate and. This money is yours. Am I, yeah, but, I, I mean, I, I see where you're making that parallel. But well, they
0: did, though, didn't they? Because they hired a shitload of people to search for it. In this case, he just crowdsourced it. They he didn't hire a bunch of people to search for it. He just put a reward up and said, a billion dollars if you find it. And as a result, he crowdsourced, like, everybody in the Oasis to find it.
1: But uh, I didn't, re- like, at least other than when they offered him all that money to kind of uh, join their team. Mm-hmm. They otherwise just recruited people who they thought were talented or whatever to try to do it for them, and they made yeah. contracts.
0: Yeah, the, the reward is either employment or money. Either way, it's money. It's just a different way of doing it. But I, I get you, though. He, he wasn't hiring the person that found it. Uh, he, he was just, waving you know, a billion-dollar
1: carrot in front of their face. Exactly. It's... And he could do that. Yeah. it. But so...
0: it feels very... Uh, he even it even mentions in the book that 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 he couldn't figure out why he couldn't grapple with this and i really would have liked a little bit more of the problem of grappling with this rather than shooting straight to because i get it the book wants to get into the game the book wants to get into the place where everyone's searching for it wants to drop you into the action so all of this is monologuing yeah Uh, But still, it would have been nice to have a few paragraphs about what that conversation looked like or or how they came to it or the struggle that he had. Like a big part of the first book was experiencing the struggles with Parzival and trying to figure out the answer with Parzival to see if you couldn't come to it on your own mind.
1: Yeah, I know that know that you've always been hung up on the fact that. The parts of the book where you were uh, of Ready Player One, where you actually got to experience him trying to solve the problem, were better than the times where you're being told how he solved it.
0: Yeah, that that was the big difference between the movie and the book. I thought.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah, so we get to this place, but I think before I've also mentioned the fact of having cheat codes, mm-hmm. and that personally for me, when I'm gaming, I I don't find enjoyment in using cheat codes because it takes the challenge and the fun out of the game and I lose interest in playing if I've got access to cheat codes, if I use cheat codes. That's the reason why when I play Minecraft, I don't play it in creative mode. To me, creative mode is, I get why people might like want to do creative mode, but for me, the actual playing of the game, the challenge is to do it outside of creative mode, right? You know, the, the threat of dying, the threat of uh, being blown up by a, a creeper or something. Mm. So I wonder... If this will hint later in the book as to where his creative block is, and potentially being that his unlimited powers bestowed upon him by the coat of anorak that he wears, maybe isn't hindering his creativity in some way.
1: I mean, yeah, because...
0: Are you saying yes? No, that, well, that I'm, right. well, no I'm saying like, you... I, like I understand what
1: your <laughs> yeah you know, your their thought process there, because is this Parzival basically... It almost be like forgetting how to drive because you got like a muscle car. Like it's got, he has all this power, but he's like forgetting a little bit about the fundamentals of like, and for him, the fundamentals were being like an egg hunting gunter, you know, and maybe he's just, it's like his brain has atrophied. He hasn't had to be in, in gunting mode, so he's lost his touch.
0: Reminds me if, it's, if this isn't like a reference to him writing, or to a lot of artists that are one-hit wonders, wherein they have lightning in a bottle, but the pressure of doing it again, and also the distraction of power of your life losing some of some of its misery, uh, the creative juice, the the rub of life that brings forth creativity. The rub is in friction. Yeah, that doesn't make it sound any better. The, the things in life that make life difficult, that force us to creatively approach it, that when you start to alleviate that, that creativity becomes something that's hard to engage with again. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a singer whose life is fantastic, they have all the money they need, and they've got all the love that they need. What's there left to sing about?
1: The new yacht because they want to buy? Because most they of your buy. most... Again, the new yacht they want to buy with the, just by dropping a new single?
0: Exactly. You know, would you just sing the I Don't Have a Yacht blues? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could do that, or you could sing a song bragging about all the shit you do have, and there are a lot of artists that do that. I, I don't know. I think it just it sucks the creativity out, and I think that maybe— the, I, I'm making the prediction that will be something he struggles with.
1: Sure. No, I buy that. I don't think—I didn't really get into that into my kind of chapter-by-chapter notes that I was taking Mm -hmm. because I figured I wanted to record a little bit of my own individual thoughts on each chapter before I went to the next one, which was Mm -hmm. a little frustrating at times because I wanted to keep going. But I had to like stop and say, okay, we are going to take a few notes, record your thoughts. And that was not one of them. But yeah, it like one of my notes here, he refers to somewhere in here about his own invitation that he wrote Mm -hmm. modeled off of Anorak's invitation. Why isn't that in here? I want that detail.
0: I I get it. The book is the length that it is. It feels like you could have had an an extra chapter that went into some of these detailed moments rather than monologuing through three years worth of stuff and then dropping us into the contest, which evidently is where the next chapter is going to be. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there. So we do get a little bit into his thoughts about the shard riddle, and that it seemed the siren seemed to be a, a reference to Kira Moro, and we get a little bit more kind of retold history about her and uh, her name Lucosia, which I did notice that Will Wheaton decided to change the pronunciation of Lucosia for this reading of Ready Player Two. Lucosia. He pronounced it like L- Leucosia or something like that uh, instead okay. of Leucosia. And may- and maybe this version is right. I don't know.
0: I wonder if somebody corrected him.
1: Yeah. And he also, yeah. the first book, he would say chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, instead of chapter zero, 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 zero.
0: Yeah, but it was organized a little bit differently. Like this book is organized a little bit differently. We've got a lot of triple dots between areas in the yeah, same chapter. Like the zero, this chapter. It has like five or six breakups within the content. It was really confusing as to where I needed to stop. Yeah. Especially since I'm listening to it. So yeah, it is a little bit different.
1: So there's a little bit about Kira here, and he wasn't really sure what the seven shards were and what makes the siren hole again. But he searched, and he couldn't find it. And then they're selling all these units of the O&I. And we get into a part here that I thought was a little bit disappointing was that GSS bankrupted IOI and absorbed them, creating a essentially the largest corporation in the world.
0: Yes. And the way that he puts it though is this unstoppable mega corporation that has a monopoly on communication and media. And there's nothing about that sentence that is
1: wholesome. (laughs) It sounds bad. Uh, He sounds like he's describing all the bad parts about IOI.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Although he did let all of the IOI indentured servants free from their debts, which I was like, okay, that's cool. You expect that if this was going to happen, that that's the next thing that would happen. And I think we even predicted possibly that.
1: Yeah, we may have. I I, on, I can never remember exactly all the things that we predict because we've made so many and yeah. some are bound to be right and some are bound to not be right.
0: I think this was earlier in the first book that we chatted on this. Yeah. But as far as the impact is concerned, the impact of O&I, uh, we had also made some predictions. And that was, actually, our predictions were were in the vein of maybe this will move the narration of the book and as it turns out it doesn't move the narration of the book they just address it so originally when we were talking about this do you remember when we were chatting about how potentially an experience might be used against you in a court of law
1: mm-hmm. apparently
0: because we'd also talked about this sort of black market for trading oni files or selling oni files we talked about how this could turn into a really sort of ugly situation that maybe this would be A key part of the story. Nah, nah. Turns out they've got that covered. They review it with AI to to determine if there's any bad stuff in the files and if there's anything illegal. They forward it onto the police. There we go. Case closed. Not going to be a part of the book.
1: So what? And part of the workaround to making sure that the O and I files couldn't be used on like bootleg hardware or anything was that you needed the Oasis to use ONI files, which made me think about what you were saying before about the, the Oasis being like Halliday's ghost in the machine, not so much that he was a ghost operating in the Oasis, that the Oasis was him. I just thought it seemed to parallel a little bit with what you were saying about how maybe there's no actual, like the Halliday isn't a, you know, ghost in the machine per se, but he is the machine.
0: It it shortcuts some of the ideas that we had initially had in the last chapter as far as what could happen. And it seems to just take that and set that aside. This is how we deal with X, Y, and Z. Now we've explained it, and now on to the story. Right?
1: You know, much to our chagrin, we're getting a lot of punts forward into the future, and we're we're not getting a lot of detail. But the O and I changes the world. And You've got all this cool stuff like uh, the O and I net, and and I loved reading these parts about Sims and Rex and the Earl and Edo and yeah all just these new new it, acronyms that's like that classic, kind of pop up. It's like classic Ernest Klein. He just he could just be his own marketing department and create names for things.
0: It's it's interesting because a lot of these acronyms there's nothing new about these IRL in real life that's been around for a while. Rex R E C S when you go and you push the record button on your tape deck, it says REC. Like that was the traditional acronym Mm -hmm. for the record button on your tape decks. So there's nothing, they're they're all throwbacks to to earlier technology, but they're just being reused uh, in a way that's both familiar and references the same kind of functionality in the now.
1: So one of my notes here, when he's talking about, instead of watching a movie, you experience it. It made me think Mm -hmm. of FlixSync's. So, like, this is, like, taking Flixinx to a new... It's like Flixinx 2.0. Yeah. Which yeah. sounds pretty fucking cool. Like, it was pretty it cool and it, originally. Now it's, like, amazing.
0: Aside from the fact that when he goes and he... he when he goes and, and the shard is found, and he's brought to it, and what does he do? He touches it. Caresses that it, 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 it.
1: Kisses caress,
0: it. <laughs> no. It, but the gist here is that it... This chapter ends... With him saying, when I touched this, when I interfaced with the first shard, that's when shit started to get real. That's when the world really mm-hmm. began to take a turn. And he even mentions that this is an account of what he did and why he did it for future generations, if there are any.
1: Yeah, so that, they, so that he may be judged
0: fairly based on all the information. So it means a major fuck up is going to happen. I I get the feeling this is a a lot of people are really going to have a hard time or a lot of people are going to die.
1: We know that millions of lives are at stake from the book flap.
0: Right. This is true. So to actually say if there are any future generations, we talked last chapter about a slight prediction of why would anyone breed if they could have their entire relationship and their entire physical, uh, uh, if they could have their entire physical relationship online, if they if you could be with your spouse, the best version of your spouse, and your spouse could have the best version of you, and you guys could have the wildest sex online, why would you settle for reality?
1: Especially when you can have the best fruit and, all the, and, and be, be a Kung Fu master.
0: And more importantly, think of what would happen when you have a kid. Could could you imagine spending 12 hours online, both you and your wife, spending 12 hours online and raising a child?
1: First of all, certainly in the first you know few months, there's no such thing as 12 hours straight. No, uninterrupted.
0: not at all. I, you couldn't do it. Your kid would die. Well, it doesn't matter because you probably wouldn't have sex with your, your significant other otherwise, aside from him in the Oasis. Because that's where you can do like the wildest and craziest shit without any repercussions. That's where the, again, the best versions of both of you exist. Well, I mean,
1: I mean you, you touch upon an interesting subject because could you, like, there's certainly no testing involved where somebody who is with child using the O&I headset. So if you're shutting mm-hmm. off the the impulses that are experiencing what's going on in your body other than what's in your brain, like, that's the kind of stuff that, you get warnings on devices that use electrical impulses. They say, if you are pregnant or may be pregnant, don't use this thing. Yeah. I, I have a smart scale. One of the ones that like tests your, you know, tells you like, like all kinds of data or whatever, but like it uses like electrical, whatever to, give you back some extra information about body composition and things like that.
0: And it's running electrical impulses to, to see what the resistance is. Yeah, so... And it makes some assumptions, yeah. yeah.
1: and it says in its literature, if you are pregnant or may be pregnant, please don't use our device.
0: What about like a heart replacement device? Did it have anything about that? If you're using oh, a... Oh, yeah,
1: I think it also said, like, you have a pacemaker, you, sh- you shouldn't use this thing. So, like, yeah. any device like that, it, you're not supposed to Like they, most part of the reason why I think they tell you don't not to use it, is because nobody's going to test it to see if it's going to have any adverse impacts on the fetus, but also because it might. Yeah. And yeah. So if to your point about is it going to be a population drop because people they're too busy in the oasis to to screw around, but then it's like they're
0: busy in the oasis screwing around. Yeah.
1: So it's just interesting conversation there
0: yeah it's uh it's a, if a, and it opens up like a huge range of possibilities this is a million there's there's many fish in the sea the fact of the matter is there are only many fish in the pond that you currently exist in that's a matter of fact like you're not gonna really start up a serious relationship with somebody on the other side of the world some might try but you're gonna get the longest the best mileage in that if you two are together if two people come together but the ability to find people to have truly have a million fish in the sea, right? The options become opened up in the oasis, because as it's said, when two-thirds of the planet are on the oasis at any given time, you have this huge range of finding a prospective partner, and it doesn't matter where they are in the world, because if your relationship is 12 hours online and then 12 hours asleep, that's just like having them in your life. You know, the downside there being is the breeding and pregnancy part. But you can breed online, like you can simulate sex online. So what comes out of that isn't a child. So it means there's going to be a lot of people finding their perfect person anywhere in the world and stop breeding, no longer producing children. Which means in a short number of generations, humanity would just die off, you know, unless something totally stopped the oasis altogether.
1: Or, you know, if you already are in a, if you're married... And maybe even have a kid already. Like you're, you're a young family. What? Like when would you stop using this, you know, admittedly addictive hardware, to stop and actually enjoy the physical world?
0: Yeah, or to raise your kids, or make them better people, yeah. whatever you got to do. If it's that addictive, it's I have to equate it. Imagine to, to taking like an addictive drug where that becomes more important than the kid you're raising. Uh, and that turns into a sort of an abusive situation. It yeah, that's, that's a big issue. So I, I take from the end of this chapter, future generations, if there are any, as the beginning of an omen, and him basically saying that this book is an explanation for why things went bad, to defend himself, which means, oh, shit, something has to go really bad. So that, that excites me quite a bit. And I know that you, having read it, can't give any hints into that, but I'm excited to, uh, to see how this evolves.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very exciting to watch you go through it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> she can't say anything.
1: Your tongue tied.
0: She's like, uh, uh, uh. so <laughs> that's fantastic.
1: So, you know, just reflecting back on this chapter, like some of my notes here, and then I'll get into some questions that I have for you. It, it's clear to, it was clear to me reading this chapter that Wade just seems really out of his depth or out of his, what we knew of him to be at the end of the first book. He was essentially the the top Gunter. And now it's, he's recruiting people to basically say crowdsourcing to, you know, get all these, yeah, to find the first shard. And he just seems, it's clear that he's just not the same Wade that we knew in the first book. He's not, not only is he not really grown, but he's taken a step backward. And, you know, it's like, of rags to riches th- uh, story, where their identity is so deeply rooted in the fact that they're 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 not wealthy, they are poor, and like their survival mechanisms that that they've become accustomed to and make them who they are, aren't necessary anymore, and he turns into something completely different in a very short period of time, and you know it's the it just it reads like a fall from grace, which I think many sequels tend to use that structure and it doesn't look good for Wade especially like when you think about his actions are going to be judged by future generations it sounds like he's in for a world of shit
0: given the situation that he's in given that there is this contest look you're either going to play the contest or maybe you should just admit that you can't play the contest or that it's just too much for you he threw out a billion dollars as a carrot And the number of gunters quadrupled overnight should be an indication that maybe you shouldn't have done that. Maybe you should have just left it for five, six years, let people just fumble along and try and figure it out. Or most people wouldn't because they would assume that it's just, it's one of those things that's kind of like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to try and find it, but we're not going to let anyone else know that it's not us and let's just let it ride. Mm. But instead he dangles the carrot, someone finds it and that there's your real Pandora's box right there, that somebody found it. And that he paid for it and got it. And I, I have to imagine that this book, in the first one, it's how much like Halliday can you think in regards to what he likes. But in the second book, liking what Halliday likes isn't enough. You have to be driven to make the things that Halliday made, to live the life that he made, to understand where he, why he got to where he did. And that's not—the first book doesn't cover that. And I kind of wonder, like you said, he's out of his depth now, having to take charge of this company and also having to, again, interact with his friends and people that are adoring him in such a way that he's going to have to become his own holiday to really push through. Uh, And I'm curious to see how he does that.
1: And overnight. Like, he's bequeathed the company overnight, whereas— not that James Halliday went to business school. They had the they had they started the company in the garage. You think over a course of time, running a d- rinky dinky company that grew, you pick up a few things. Oh sure, Parsville doesn't or Wade doesn't know shit about running a business.
0: Yeah, but we jump ahead three years. Yeah, I feel like it jumped over some things that I really wanted to hear
1: conversations about. Yeah, it did read a little bit like we need to fast forward and get all this information in here really quickly. And answer
0: all these questions, cover everyone, get to the part where we're going to get there. I, I felt like they were jumping to get together. They were doing a get to the good part.
1: Yeah. It was almost like Ernest Klein was trying to make sure that he didn't fall into the trap of the sequel and just not have certain things answered. He was trying to answer a lot of questions in this chapter. Right.
0: And probably a lot of questions that may sound like retcons if he included it later. Exactly.
1: On. So I think he was trying to like un How did that not
0: kill him? Oh, it has a a pain reduction protocol. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. That's how he didn't die.
1: Why wasn't this mentioned in the first book? It seems like a pretty big thing for GSS to have been working on. Oh, but it didn't matter to Parzival, therefore we didn't hear about it.
0: It's okay. Yes. I guess it's good that they got all that shit out of the way to begin with.
1: Well, yeah, because otherwise we'd be asking that question right now. It's like, why didn't we hear about this in the first book? That question Mm -hmm. has been answered.
0: Yep, yep, that's true. All right have we have we exhausted this have we wrung it dry have we, have we pulled blood from the stone
1: i think so unless you have any formal predictions to make then
0: no i think i've, I've made a few predictions i think we're going to deal with we're going to deal with some growth i'm hoping that some interaction with the team is there with artemis and h i i want to see more of that that's the part of the book that i really enjoyed was the relationships between the people and the problem solving. So I'm glad that we've moved into the beginning of the new game, and I'm hoping that we're going to get to the parts that I really enjoy about this author.
1: I think you will enjoy it, and that's all I'm going to awesome. say about that.
0: All right, let's wrap it up. Sure.
1: Thanks for listening, guys. This is Chris. And this is Aaron.
0: We will catch you in the next chapter of Ready Player Two. Thank you for listening. See